Hello and welcome to the Huguenot Podcast once again. We are ready for episode 17. Today we're going to be talking about a couple different things, but before I get into that, I wanted to remind everybody, feel free to email me. Send any emails, questions, concerns, comments, do you agree, disagree, to Podcast at gmail.com. And if you wanted to check out our website, feel free to do that. That's Hugenhoff. Uh, that's just Hugenhoff.org. H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. Uh, the email addresses should also be on the website. And to start the show, we're actually going to start with an email. Somebody did send us an email. It's uh, t- someone I actually know. Nonetheless, it's nice to see somebody else's opinion. But before we jump into that, I would like to welcome my co-hosts. Uh, Lore, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, sir. Thank you. Okay. And once again, we have Lauren. How are you doing, Lauren? Great. Okay. Very good. So, as I mentioned, we had an email, so I'm just going to kind of... Um, read through the important parts of this email. Uh, it comes from my friend Jeff, and I do appreciate it. I wanted to say that, and anybody else out there listening, even if, you know, I know you in real life, please feel free to send emails, because we like to get questions and different uh, opinions on this. So, um, he thanks us for the podcast, which I appreciate, and... Uh, He says, this is my first email response, and this one is in reference to episode 16 regarding the Havamaw, which was our last episode. I did have a couple questions, comments. He says, does it mean that when someone lies to you and you find out that they lied to you 100%, can you lie back to them as much as you want, or is it more of a lie for a lie? And this is referring to a particular passage Laura and I had a bit of discussion on where it basically says what can be interpreted as uh, give back life or lie. Uh, so th- to this first question, I think if someone lies to you, maybe you can lie back to them, but it doesn't mean you can lie to them like for the rest of their life. And we're kind of going to get into that more with the next part. Uh Jeff goes on to say, this depends on each situation, understandably. I agree that calling someone out on a lie before you tell them a lie in return would be the more moral thing to do. This is because it's good to be 100% sure that it was indeed a lie. I agree with Byron regarding lying being a break or disrespect of autonomy, which could give you leave to lie in return. However, I think it's more of the moral high ground to call them out and leave it at that rather than sink to their level. That's just my personal opinion. I realize that exceptions do exist depending on the situation. So, before we go to his next question, the question does come up in the have them all where it says trade, um, trade a lie for a lie. Does that mean if someone lies to you, it's okay to lie to them? Now, before I get into this, Lauren, you were not there for this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think of that passage in the Havamal where it says, return a lie for a lie? Um, well, we've, we've talked about this before um, privately, but I think that... Um, I think mostly it's that you are... 
they probably don't trust you, which is why they're lying to you. So you need to return that with distrust in them. I'm not saying, I don't think that it's saying it's a moral imperative that you lie to someone that lied to you to begin with. I think it's just telling you to be wary of those that lie to you. That makes sense. It could be, and Lore brought up a couple of reasons it might not be saying if they lie to you, you're supposed to lie back to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it very possibly could say that if they lie to you, you have the moral right to lie mm-hmm. back to them. And I was kind of thinking about the fact that this is Odin and he's dealing with the giants and stuff like that. So those are going to almost by their nature be um, dishonest when you deal with them. Mm-hmm. And then I was trying to think of moral situations where this may be... Um, where this may come up. And I kind of got to thinking about, uh, let's say, undercover cops. Um, maybe there's the mafia, you know, this crime organization. And you know they are breaking people's autonomy by killing them or, or roughing them up or whatever, selling stolen goods to them, stealing... Now, the police officer, to gain the trust of this crime syndicate, would have to lie. You know, if he comes in and the people are like, hey, who are you? And the cop's like, oh, I'm a police officer here to infiltrate you. That's not going to work. But if he says, oh, I'm a big, tough crime guy, I love breaking the law, or whatever they do to infiltrate these gangs that might work. Now, that's a lie. So, on the surface, you might say, well, he's not allowed to lie, so all undercover agents, by their nature, are immoral. But I think the Havamal is getting that, that getting at if they have broken the autonomy of other people, and if they are lines, they no longer have the privilege to expect you to tell the truth to them, because, again, they've broken autonomy first. So, in a roundabout way, it's sort of like self-defense. You can mm-hmm. kill someone if they try to kill you because they're attempting to break your autonomy. And I would say in situations like that, the undercover cops, because you know these are immoral uh, criminal organizations, you know they've broken autonomy, that you could actually lie back to them in that situation to get something you wanted. In this particular example, it's to get them to go to jail. But, you know, there could be other examples with different things in them. So, what do you think of that situation? Is it possibly moral to be an undercover cop? Yes. Um, it goes like this. I, I was trying to think of a simpler, kind of straightforward way to say it is, um, if someone lies to you, they're obviously not your friend. And if we recall uh, some past passages from the have uh if you have something that you want from them, you treat them nice and you do all these other things, but you aren't uh, bound to uh, treat a friend or treat a uh, an enemy or someone who isn't your friend honestly. Uh, you can try to get what you want from them by dealing with them as dishonestly as they're dealing with you. And and that's in the Havamon earlier statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think it hinges on you can deal with them as dishonestly as they're dealing to you. I wouldn't say you could go up and lie to a perfect stranger to get something you wanted. But if you have reason to believe that, as you said, they're dealing with dishonestly with you or other people, then you would be able to do that. Right. You're not obligated to be dishonest, though. No, right. no, I don't think you are. Oblig- 
I don't think you're obligated to be dishonest. And in everyday life, there are many situations where you can take the high road. You know, if a scam, scam artist is trying to take advantage of you, the high road is oftentimes, no, I'm not going to do that. You're trying to scam me and, and call them out on it. But I think there are other situations where it would be morally justifiable to lie to someone, and that would be a situation like you're trying to infiltrate an under, you know, a crime organization where you're trying to stop them from breaking people's autonomy. And most importantly, they've already broken other people's autonomy, so now you have the right to do that. Agreed. So, yeah, that's, um, Lauren, did you have anything to add or were you on the same page with us there? Yeah, I'm on the same page with you there. Um, I think though he's talking about simpler situations than like the undercover cop cop deal i think that and especially with people that you already trust is what it seems like it seems like he's coming from a point of like your friend lies to you mm. do you just lie back to them well, or if, do you if, go ahead well, if, if your friend's lying to you they're they're not your friend they're not your inner kinsman you're, they're nothing like that anymore to you if, if you find someone who is just lying to you, even if it's just, if it's important matters, if they're just trying to protect themselves from certain things, it, it might be understandable. But if they're out and out lying to you, they're not a friend anymore. They're not a close friend at the very least. I understand that, but so then let's talk about the situation where they're not just out and out lying to you. They have some reason, whatever it is. Do you just lie back or do you try to figure out why it is that they're lying to you or what's... That's up to your discretion. I don't think the Lord says anything about that. It doesn't directly say anything about that. I mean, it, it does emphasize friendship a lot, as we talked about last time. So I would tend to think maybe you should try to see where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. But again, if if they are out to out, out and out lying to you, and especially if the behavior continues, I think you really do need to start thinking about, you know, is this person my friend? And what came up in the Have Mall a lot seemed to be, you need to be able to trust someone in order for them to be your friend. Right. So if we're imagining this, let's say Lore just starts telling me this <laughs> lie for some reason. I've known Lore for years. He's one of my best friends in the world, and I trust him very much. So if he started to lie to me, I'd be like, wait, there's got to be something bigger going on. And I try to get to the bottom of that, and I wouldn't start lying to them. But if it was someone I hadn't known as long, they were just kind of a friend, then I might say, like, okay, this person's obviously not really my friend. But I think if it's a true friend, you should probably try to find out what's going on with them first. Because I do believe what the Havamal was talking about when it said, return lie for lie, were more of your enemies. And I really think it is more referencing Odin dealing with the giants. Mm -hmm. And if we try to make that a real-world situation, I think that would be closer to he is, quote-unquote, Odin would, quote-unquote, be the undercover cop, and the giants would be this, you know, crime organization, because they are actually trying to kill Odin and the gods. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, and often in a dishonest way, so in that situation, Odin does have the moral high ground to be able to lie to them. Because, you know, they've killed gods in, in the past, and, and they're not 
honorable Banes. But you see what you're saying, though, is that you're coming to people that are already your enemies, people that you already distrust, people that have probably already lied to you in the past. Yes. And you're lying to them. And obviously that doesn't seem immoral to me. But if you're coming to one of your friends who you suspect, or one of your former friends who you suspect is lying to you, how are you going to deal with that? If If it was one of my very close friends, and I knew for 100%, as this email says, that they were lying to me, um, I would probably call them on the carpet. I probably wouldn't lie back to them because I would want to figure out exactly what it is that's motivating them to lie to me rather than continuing the deceit and destroying our relationship. Well, one would hope if you're close friends that that's a possibility. Because generally speaking, the close friends that I have, and that's basically you guys and a couple others, hmm. um, we will just lay whatever on the ground. Like, there's yeah. no hiding anything. We just talk about any issue that comes up, and that's that's closeness and friendship that maybe not everyone has. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's not a great example. But, yes, you should definitely, if, if you feel that someone's lying to you and you don't understand, you have to, con- well, I would confront people that I considered friends with a yeah. lie. Yeah, I would too. And I again, I think in the Havamaw, it's talking about, you know, the stanza will start with something like, if someone treats you dishonestly, it's it's people who are already your enemy or they've already treated you, or I would say even others. They've <laughs> You've seen them to be dishonest. If the dishonest man says to you something that's a lie, you could, in certain situations, lie back. Now, I, I do agree with Lord that it's not necessary to lie, or even the best idea to lie. But a lot of times when you get into morals and stuff like that, what you're asking is, what are you allowed to do in this situation? And I think this line one is one you're allowed to do in this situation, not that you absolutely have to do in this situation. No, you know you're never morally obligated to lie to somebody. <clears throat> but I do think on occasion it's morally justifiable if they're an enemy and someone you don't trust, and especially someone that's lied to you or in some other way broken your autonomy. Um, but no, I don't think it's talking about your friend, because there were other stanzas constructed similar, similarly where it said, this is the way you treat your friend, you give them gifts or whatever, mm-hmm. and said what to do with your friends, and this is talking about what you do with your enemies. The only thing is, it is possible that a current friend, if they start lying to you, right. call them out on it, but if they keep lying to you, and they don't stop lying to you, and they're becoming a dishonest, dishonorable person, there's a point in time where they stop, be, they stop being your friend. And there's a further point in time where they could theoretically become your enemy. You know, what if your friend becomes a murderer? You're not bound by the laws of friendship anymore because you would, hopefully, end that friendship. Unless and, you made an oath. Well, yeah. unless you yeah. made an oath, then it does get a lot trickier. And um, so what you have to be very careful <clears throat> exactly who you be. oath to. Right. So, you know, if this once friend of yours started lying to you, then he started hurting other people, They, that person could eventually um, become your enemy. Uh, so that would be, and then, and then the line thing might apply again. But no, this, this is for your enemies. And I think I was pretty clear on that. Mm-hmm. This is a way you treat the dishonest people who 
you may encounter for some reason. And taking it in the context of being about Odin, I think it's also kind of getting at, especially if you're trying to infiltrate them for some reason, as he did many times with the giants. Yeah, yeah it's definitely... Go ahead. Sorry. I, it's definitely about the enemy, because the line before that is, uh, meet mockery with mockery. So yeah. it, it's not it's not like your friends... Well, hopefully your friends don't mock you. Right. Uh, that's... That's... Uh, that's not friendship behavior there. So, yeah, this is definitely... The whole thing itself was about treating your enemies. Right. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is for your friends. Um, but it is still a good question. Can you lie to your enemies if they lie to you? Some people would say you can never lie under any circumstances. Um, that is a perfectly valid belief to hold. I personally think you cannot lie. There are certain uh, moral codes that hold us together, and you're not allowed to lie to people because it, in a way, breaks their autonomy. However, if the person has broken your autonomy, then they don't deserve that. Um, they don't deserve. They don't deserve those rights anymore. Which is why you can kill someone who's trying to kill you. You know the whole self-defense thing. Because they've given up part of their human rights or personhood rights by breaking your autonomy first. And that's what I think that's what the stanza is getting at. If someone breaks your autonomy by lying to you, you can break an e equal part of their autonomy because they've given up those rights by lying back to them. And just for uh, whatever sake, my, my personal stance is I'm, I, I just don't lie. It's much easier. Um, if if you lie to me, my stance is I just not I'm I'm not gonna have any dealings with you, and that's mm -hmm. basically it. Because I don't know I don't want to bring any more uh, falsehoods into the world. It's already confusing enough. Yeah, yeah, and and again, you don't have a moral obligation to lie, as we said. And I think that is generally speaking the best way. I can imagine situations where I think lying would be the best thing to do, though I don't think I'll ever be in them. And again, it's that undercover cop situation, and and or I I can re I can respect that and think those people are doing the right thing, but you know I'm not in law enforcement and I never will be, so I'm probably not going to be in that situation. But if I had a friend who was in undercover cop work, I wouldn't try to talk him out of it because I don't think what he's doing is wrong. So. Um, unless we have anything else to say, there's a second question in the email. Uh, Jeff goes on to say, this may be skipping ahead, but I did want to ask if there is room for forgiveness. If someone honestly confesses to lying before the lie is caught, or that, or is that forgiveness only given after the person is lied to in return? Or maybe the better question is, how is forgiveness handled and also true in general? My logical guess is that it depends on each person and each situation individually. The last part is somewhat true. Again, well, oh, go ahead, Lore. Well, I would say, well, let's look at Loki. Um, obviously, he's a trickster and a liar uh, before he was even cast out. Mm -hmm. um, the more he lied, the less trust or, well, trust the less uh, dealings the others would have with him. But 
they continued him in the group as long as he said he was sorry and was forgiven because he did, you know, try to repay everything. It's basically they have to repay you in some way. Uh, just yeah. saying they're sorry may not always be enough. It depends on the situation and the lie. And I think yeah. think that's a really good example. Now, again, you you follow the you, you continue the Loki, and you see that well he did even more and more worse things, and he did not uh, try to. Uh, at the very least ask for forgiveness or anything like that and eventually had to be bound basically cast out and mm. I think that's basically what we would say is that it depends on the line and you can get forgiveness but if it's big enough we will cast you out right yeah and um, it, it, it the person who can decide if this person gets forgiven or not is the one that is affected by the lie Right. So if you, if you, Lore, were to tell Lauren, oh, I'll sell you my car for $1,000 and it works great, and it's actually just on its last leg and it breaks down, then you come to me and you say, oh, I feel so bad for what I did to Lauren screwing her over on that car. I can't forgive you for that because the lie wasn't directed at me. Only Lauren could do that. And... <sighs> The thing about forgiveness, and yeah, I I can forgive you for that. But the thing about forgiveness and just the way it works in Ostatru is they say that every action you do is a drop in the well. So every action you do is um, tied up with your weird or your luck pretty much forever. But what you can do is sort of quote-unquote make up for it. So, you know, you might lie, you might say that I'm lying, you, you ask Lauren for forgiveness, and she's like, okay, well, I guess it's okay, I know, I know you needed the money. Now, she's forgiven you, but that still hurts your luck to an extent. But then if you're like, you know what, I feel so bad for you, I'm going to come over and fix your car so it's as good as new. Then that kind deed would be another drop in the well of weird, and that would, on the grand scheme of things, sort of balance everything out. There's not the kind of forgiveness that wipes your slate that wipes your slate clean and lets you start over. Our pasts are always going to be a part of us, but by changing the future, you can make your past on balance. Um, uh, you can make your 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 past and your present on balance uh, way to to more good. And I think this is demonstrated nicely with just uh, showing an example. So this car situation, which I don't know why I'm fixating on, really, if, if you sold Lauren a car that's about to die, and even it doesn't matter if you ask for forgiveness and she says yes or not, what is going to happen is she's going to tell her friends, people are going to know what happened, People will trust you less, and you'll get less opportunities to sell cars in the future. That is bad luck for you. And I think it's deeper than that, but this is an easy way to see it. That's bad luck for you because it's harder for you to sell a car because people don't trust you because they saw what happened. But as soon as you do a good act, you go over and you fix her car. Then you sell cars to another guy, and the cars are good. People are going to see those positive acts, and they'll say, well, he did the lemon once, but look at all these good cars he sold, and he went out of his way to fix her car. So, you know, I, I'd be comfortable buying a car from him, because overall, 
generally speaking, you get a good deal with this lore fella. So that's good luck for you. You can sell things better because, once again, people start to trust you. So I think every act you do falls into the well of weird. The bad acts, you can't take them back out. You can never wipe them clean, but they can be counterbalanced by good acts. Uh, did anyone have anything to add to that? Or disagree? Nope, I agree. Yep. Okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I think that's it. Uh, thanks for the podcast. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting question, so I want to thank Jeff for that email. It was it was fun to discuss it, and if other people send the email in, I will certainly read them on the air. Of course, if it's the Havamaw study, I might not spend quite so much time on it, but since this is a discussion one, I feel like we can. And what I actually may do if I get more emails is just save them back for the discussion so we can give them the, the proper amount of time to really dive into them. Okay, so that's the email section again. Thank you, Jeff, for the email. Let's move on to our next main topic for the night. We wanted to discuss what makes Ossetru different from general paganism and maybe Wicca and stuff like that. We are actually a very unique group here because most Ossetru people at least experimented with Wicca enough to join a, a coven and um, or, or some other type of group. None of us here actually did that. None of us came from Ossetru from really any other religious setting. I experimented with a lot of different religions, and I was a lot of different religions when I was younger. Um, Wicca was never one of them, so I moved to from like Christianity, of course, and then I was Buddhist for a while, and then I was atheist for a long while, and then I finally became Asatro. Um, so that's my religious history. I don't have any Wicca in there. I read some books on it, but it never really called to me. And I know Lore and Lauren, Lore and Lauren are in similar situations where they've never been Wiccan either. So this is perhaps a unique view on it from most Ossetruers, but but we're still going to discuss it a little bit. Okay, so let's just keep it really vague to start out with. Lauren, I'll see what your thoughts are first. What is the difference between Ossetru and uh, paganism, or, or, or maybe Ossetru and Wiccan? What's our big differences? Well, I don't... It's kind of hard to say because I don't actually know very much about Wiccan. Um, and that's our disadvantage, yeah. Yeah, from the really terrible understanding that I have of Wicca um, is that they only believe in two god forms, like the goddess and the god. Um, so that's one thing. And then they interpret it as the gods are extensions of the one god and goddess. Um, which is different. Obviously, we believe, or at least I believe, that um, the gods are actually individual entities separate from each other. Um, the other thing that I disagree with them on is the reason for why um, why I believe in the gods that I believe in. I believe that they are actually um, the gods that influence the beginning of our people, not 
they didn't put us on the earth, but they influenced us to become rational beings. And um, I'm not exactly sure how the god and goddess influence the people, but I have a feeling that it's not the same way. So okay. that's how I would say they're different. And what would you say, Lore? Um, I would say that is similar, and then that they would take any gods or goddesses that we have, and they would incorporate it into their own. Uh, just to say, you would that particular aspect represents that per- that tiny aspect of their greater deities, um, and we don't we we take them as individuals, as whole beings, as uh, whole uh, creatures. Creatures, maybe that's not an appropriate word. Um, that did in our past, um, like our people, uh, again, start us off on the path to be human, uh, our particular branch of humanity, if you would. Um, really, I'm just looking through kind of some Wiccan pages here right now to see if I can find anything else, but basically what Lauren said kind of is what I would say then. Okay. And if you come across anything you want to talk about, just jump back in. I think I kind of agree with both of you. Now, I know that there's a lot of different types of Wiccan and even more different types of paganism. The the god and goddess one is one, and I obviously don't agree with that. I don't think that all gods are aspects of these greater gods. It It doesn't make sense to me. And I think that our gods are individual entities. And another, and I think a huge one for for all of us here is that the gods had something to do with putting us on the path to humanity, opening our eyes to rationality um, as our ancestral gods. So I've got that, you know, there's often this archetypical thing, like all the gods are really the same, like... um, uh, Odin and Hermes are actually the same gods. The Greeks saw them in one way, and the Norse people saw him in another way, but he's the same god. I don't actually agree with that. That's a big difference I have. I think that all these pantheons, if they're they're um, Japanese or, or Greek or African or whatever they are, are filled with unique entities. I don't think... Okay, yeah, there's some overlap. You know, this is a god of knowledge and that's a god of knowledge. But those are archetypical overlaps, just like I have a dad and Lorne has a dad and Lore has a dad. And they were all father figures to some extent in our lives. Yeah, sure, but that doesn't mean they were all the same people. And I think that's where the similarities come from. There's just archetypical truths. There's just ways the world works that all of these may fill that role, just like everyone's father may fill a role. However, I think that each pantheon is composed of unique individual gods that actually exist, and each of those pantheons is concerned, you know, with their people. So I think that's a huge difference. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is we think that this one pantheon of gods is most concerned with us, so it would be rude and disrespectful to just invite other pantheons in because, you know, they don't, quote-unquote, live in the same place. They're not the same. They're not part of the same tradition. And the spiritual world, 
or the world of ideas for me, but we're not going to get into that. The spiritual world is a very vast, unique place with lots of different areas where different gods go about living, and our area is different than the Greek area, for example. They're not right next to each other, um, and we want to work within this paradigm, within the Norse paradigm, and you know a person following the Greek gods would want to work within a Greek paradigm. And I, I think a huge difference in Asatru and a lot of other paganism I see is that we don't just mix all the gods together, we stick with one pantheon. And I think that's important because I think this one pantheon, you know, deals with themselves, they're a unique group of people, and I think that they want to help, you know, their their um, descendants. Uh, so I think I think there's a huge difference between Asatru and paganism. Also, there's the uh, factor that the pagan witch or the for Wicca, uh, they have very little source material to work with. So a lot of it is uh, what we call UPG, which I can never remember the the word, but I know the definition. Ungrounded. Unverified personal yeah. analysis. Thank you, Lauren. So, like, they have their own way of looking at it, and they try to interpret what they see as something else, And but there's no backing, necessarily, for what they say. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, for the most part, in the Ossetru community, we, we very much rely on the lore that we have, uh, what was written down by maybe not the most reliable sources, but at least there's some material to work with there, and hopefully that we can weed through some of the, the misconceptions that were written in with our lore. But a lot of times it was just poetry, and there wasn't too much you could mess with the poetry. Otherwise, it would mess with the scheme. All right. And and I do think that's a good one to bring up, that, you know, we do have, we do have our own ideas, and we try to understand the lore. And sometimes, to an extent, we have to add to it, at least on a personal level. We're going right. to have our own UPGs where we add to it. But we take the lore as a starting point and build from there. And, and yeah, a lot of other people don't take it quite so seriously. They'll, you know, mix this group and, and that group together. Oh, sorry. I'm getting text messages. I should ignore those. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's another thing that we, that I think we're different in the sense that, um, we always start with the lore and build from there. And I think the next point would be then that the uh, the UPG standpoint is, yeah, we can do that, and it's but it's all personal. Right. Uh, we we can talk about it with the group, and obviously you can take that in and say yes or no to that yourself. But a lot of the time, when I look at the Wiccan stuff, it seems like when someone has a UPG. That is the stance that they take, and if you don't agree with it, then you're wrong because mm -hmm. the UPG is always correct. Like the the goddess somewhere in Egypt called to them to add to their belief pantheon, and okay, that's fine. But as an also true person, you would say, well, that seems kind of strange, and I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to go ahead and stick with the what I know and have in the lore here, right? Yeah, I, I think when you're talking about Austria, you, you have to look at the lore and be like, okay, this is the lore. We can agree to 
we can agree on this. Now, if we see something that's obviously uh, Christian influence, for example, we can argue that and we can say, okay, well, this is probably not actually the case. And as you have your own UPGs, the ones that align with the lore, in all likelihood, are the true ones. But, you know, if you do have UPGs that are saying bigger things, again, uh, I mean, I'm parroting you here, Laura, but you can believe that, but you can't expect anybody else to believe that, because certainly those other, you know, the person having the UPG could be wrong. Um, but if you don't have that lore to start building on, it's really hard to have a starting point. You know, you couldn't necessarily go to a coven and say, well, this is the lore that I believe because these people wrote it down because it's so based on UPG. And again, UPGs are useful, but they are always taken with a grain of salt in Austro. The things we agree on are, are, are the lore, I think. So, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what else to say about that. Are, are there other things we want to cover about this? I'm trying to look through some of the Wiccan stuff. A lot of it is saying that it's based in Celtic mythology, but like I said, there's not too much written down from that. Right. And so even if that is the case, the difference would be that they think, well, they think, they, they would go from a Celtic kind of viewpoint and where we're, we're more uh, Northern European. Yeah, yeah, our starting points are going to be very different, too. Um, something else I wanted to bring up is sometimes... Ah, but that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough one. Sometimes there's a feel, and I, I could be wrong, so if any Wiccans are listening to this, please write in and, you know, tell us if we're getting this right. But sometimes I feel from the Wiccan perspective that you've got this idea that, um... As long as you're not, it, kind of a loose definition of what is right and what is wrong. You know, where exactly are morals coming from? Where I kind of feel like we can look at the lore and point out things where it's it, it actually gives us some guidance to morals. Now, I do want to say, I don't think morals should come solely from your religion ever. I think part right. of choosing a religion is seeing if its morality lines up with your own. And if it does, if you can say, okay, here's the here's my ancestral lore, and it's saying this is right or this is wrong, and I agree with that, and that makes sense, and here's some reasons why, then it can reinforce those morals. But I feel in Ossetro, and we've kind of been doing with this doing this with the Havamaw, and uh, there'll, there'll be other times where it comes up, there is a strong thing of autonomy, and you can't break someone's autonomy for any reason, and we keep coming up with more and more examples of the lore saying, no, you can't you, you can't break someone else's autonomy. Whereas in, in Wiccan, for example, sometimes it seems a lot fuzzier. It's like, oh, as long as you don't hurt anybody, but that's not necessarily backed up anywhere by their religious anything that they're doing I wonder if that's a difference well I, I think we're viewed as very much more structured than they are um, they would look at us and say we're very rigid in our religious views mm, yeah that uh, we, we can't be flexible enough to like look around us and 
maybe not have a ceremony and just do your own thing. Whereas their ceremonies, if they have them, uh, which they do, uh, but it's all very personal in their own, uh, well, their own gnosis, their own UPG on what kind of ceremony they're going to do. Whereas we try to look at the lore and our ceremonies are based upon historical evidence or uh, written lore from what happened in the past. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think we are a lot more structured and... And, of course, uh, some people would argue our ceremonies are not historically accurate, but there is still that desire to make them historically accurate. And actually, a lot of a lot of what we do does come from the lore and the sagas. Uh, the Heimskringla, for example, goes over some things. It mentions that a bowl was used and filled with blood. We fill it with mead now because we don't raise our own animals, so principally that doesn't make sense anymore it has to be something we worked on which you know is meat and i think it was actually mixed with meat so and as the odin floats where they use blood especially anywho um the hammer sign is mentioned and the heimskringla as well which is one of the reasons that we use that and and actually the way we do our rounds of um uh one to the gods uh a bow uh boast, bloat, round, and one to the ancestors. Now, we actually have four rounds, because we have an open round. But the Heimskringla actually mentions when it's talking about how a bloat was performed, and of course it said it in a negative way, but still it mentions that, you know, there is a round to the gods, it mentions there is a round to the ancestors, and it mentions there is a, a, a round to brag or boast. So we get those pieces of our um, ceremony from actual pieces of the lore, then the way that that we do the runes, or well, I know I work with the the runes, and the way I work with the runes is based off an explanation from Tacitus when he visited some of the Germanic tribes of how they work with the runes. And I feel like in Austria, there's a big focus on how did these used to be done, and and trying to emulate that. Well, because to us, it's all about. Uh doing similar things to the past so we can connect to it and understand. I, I think the the phrase that we generally come up with, and I'm not going to quote it properly because I never remember it correctly, is uh, people without a past have no future. Yeah. And if you, if you don't remember what we did in the past, you can't learn from it. And I think a lot of that is, well, number one, these are our people. We have taken it upon ourselves and, and looked at it and researched it, and these are our actual ancestors that did these things. Uh, because our particular group is folkish, and and that's how we've come to be Ossetrus, because there are actual literal ancestors that did this, and we want to understand where they came from so we can understand why we act and do the things that we do, because even with another religion coming in and trying to change the way people act and react, we still did things very similarly to our, our ancestors, mm. and to go back and look at it like we do it brings to the fore why we did it and maybe why we do it now. And I, I find that to be the main focus what Ossetru is doing, at least in my opinion, whereas in Wiccan it's just maybe there's some historical thing, but it's all about emotions and feeling. Yeah. And I so and, and I'm not saying one is right over the other, but in my particular viewpoint, my stance would be I want to be Ossetru because I want to understand. It's not, I want to feel. 
Yeah, I I think that's a legitimate difference, and and I do like what you say about connecting to the past, um, because we do try to replicate those bloats as much as we do. But but then there are slight differences that we do. For example, I added in the open round, so three of the rounds come from the way it was described in the Germania book by Tacitus, but then the fourth round. You know, we add something else, which uh, a time where you can speak your mind, whatever it is, and and in my view, that's the way you know these traditions will grow, because I feel like what you want is you know you do have a connection to your ancestors through the line of your people, you know, all the way back to the gods, and uh, your ceremonies and everything can change, they can grow, and they can evolve, but I feel like the problem with in in a lot of other forms of paganism, uh, Wiccan is the one I read a little bit about. It's it's more than an idea of understanding your tradition and then evolving it. It's just like completely wiping it away and starting over. It's basically chaos versus a bit of uh, order. They're, 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 they seem to be more chaotic in the way they want to go about things where we are ordered and structured when we try to build upon the mm-hmm. past. And, and, it, and it's not like we are stagnant where we'll stand still and only do what the past had done. We build it and we structure it to meet our needs. It's, it, it, it's not a historical stance. It is a modern interpretation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that the ceremony, the way that we build our ceremony, is it's based on history, but also the way we approach magic is differently. And I think that that's what builds makes the backbone of your ceremony and their approach to magic is completely different than ours. I feel like, I feel like their magic is much more based on theatrics and we don't mm-hmm. really, we don't really pay too much homage to theatrics. That's not how we get into the mood or that's not how we practice our ceremonies. And now it, I, I think that's true. And I want to jump into that a little bit more before we go on. I should say, that, you know, a, a lot of Wicca is more feely, and that especially comes from, you know, those the teen witch mentality of it. There are actually very ordered groups of Wiccans, too. They're called Gardenarians mm-hmm. or something. Um, and, and they're extremely ordered. Nonetheless, they did still start, you know, around the 60s. So they, again, do not have that connection all the way to the gods. And another thing with magic is... Uh, I, I was reading a book, and this guy was, he certainly wasn't Christian, but he is dealing with a lot of Christian entities. And again, on the way of how they deal with magic is it is very, their magic is oftentimes very, what was the word you used, Lauren? Theatrics. Theatrical. Yeah, their magic is often theatrical. And there's sometimes just a really a very different way of doing it. This particular guy was talking about how you use magic to control these different entities, um, a lot of demons in his situation, and you use magic to get something out of these different entities, which I think, and of course, everyone in Austria does not have to practice magic. That's actually another big difference. I think in Wiccan you're almost expected to practice magic. There's no expectation to practice magic in Ossetro. But if you do practice it, generally speaking, it's closer to the idea of getting some sort of deeper connection with the gods. And the way you go about it is, I don't want to say 
friendlier, but it's more of a conversation than a commanding. Well, it's like talking with a like a your grandparents or great grandparents who you have very very much respect for. They yes. they know many things in the world, and you're trying to ask them for assistance. Yes, yes, that's that's a good way to put it, and I I feel like a lot of other systems of magic is more about commanding, like, oh, I'm a powerful magician, now you do what I say. And if that works for some people, that's great. It very well may, but I don't actually like that mentality at all. I think a better mentality is the idea of, um, well, like you said, a con a conversation like you would have with your great-grandparents or something like that, because that's what the gods are. They are their ancestors. Um, now, again, in, in a magical ritual, it, here's another thing. Magical rituals are personal things. A lot of other pagans will have a group of people doing, like, an overtly magical ritual. Any ceremony is, to an extent, magical, because you are trying to call the gods down. Even a Catholic mass has a lot of magical elements to it. But it's not... You know, you, you would you would call it a religious ceremony, and if there are magical elements to it, you know, that's that might be part of it, to call down the gods or whatever. But it's not an overtly magical ceremony. And I find that most people in Austria don't do overt magical ceremonies. And when they do their personal ones, it's hard to say what they do, because they wouldn't talk about them. But my understanding is, um, yeah, they're still solemn and serious and all of that, but again, there's not a whole lot of theatrics, so that might be a difference. And just in general, in Austria, there's not a lot of theatrics. There's not a lot of dressing up. And of course, the Theodes may be an exception to this, but there's not a lot of dressing up. There's not a lot of talking in super formal tongues and saying, oh, thou art great. There's not a lot of that. It feels more personal is probably the best way that I could put it. And the only reason that we would speak... Uh, differently than our regular English would just be to uh, recreate the past ceremonies so that the gods would be more invited in. So yes, all ceremonies are magical in a sense, and I would say that we've all felt uh, presences or whatever when we are doing our bloats and things, and that itself is magic, but I think the difference is uh, their magic is more external uh, in in what they expect, and ours is more internal from what we expect. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is, a lot of times, there's a difference between asking gods to do things for you and honoring your gods. And, And I think that's what we try to do, is honor our gods. We, most of our bloats are not to ask for anything. They're just to, you know, honor our ancestral gods, which is what we do. There doesn't have to be a goal in mind, so to speak. See, I I always see it as like, yeah, we're honoring, but we're also catching up with them. We're letting them know what's going on in our lives and how we feel and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to to put it, too. Um, Trying to really create a deep personal connection and not... uh, I don't want to say superficial because that might not be completely that might be not be completely correct, but not a maybe formal um, 
Well, I mean, if you're going to go see your great-grandparent, you're not going to talk to him like he's a kid. Right. So what we do is we have, like, a very formal get-together, and we sit and are, and are as respectful as you would be with an elderly. It's not like we can't laugh or anything. It's just that it's a different setting than you would just hang out with your friends. Yes, yes, yeah. So there's a difference, but there isn't so much. I guess theatrics is probably one of the huge differences. There isn't so much theatrics. We want people to be comfortable, again, because this isn't we're asking for something or anything like that, or we're asking for power, because we're certainly not. We're just uh, catching up would probably be the best way to put it. Okay, I think we are... I didn't actually start timing as well as I normally do, but I, I think we're getting close to the hour. So. so I'm going to go ahead and go around and have final thoughts. Lord, did you have any final thoughts on this? Um, well, final thought would be, hey, do what you want to do. If your particular, <laughs> if your particular thing is Wiccan and, and, and that's your thing, hey, cool for you. Uh, my particular stance is also true because, again, all the things I said previously, I like thinking about it, I like reading about it, I like connecting to the past. Um, Wiccan doesn't seem to do that as much. Again, it's very personal and not really based on all the kind of things that we have. And to me, that, that sounds unfortunate because I personally like having something to look at and say, okay, this makes sense because we did this before. And since it looks like that they don't have that, to me, that would leave me feeling strange because then I would just be on my own making stuff up. And I'm not saying that you're just making it out of the blue or anything like that. I'm just saying it doesn't appear to have as much basis uh, as what we have. And that's that's my final thought. Lauren? Yeah, I think um, what Laura said to begin with, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter what you believe. Just, you know, what you believe in is fine. Nothing's better than anything else. Um, we believe what we believe for the reasons that we've said, and we're definitely different, um, Wiccans and Ostatruo, for sure. Um, even if you're doing Norse, Norse paganism or Norse Wicca, that's definitely very different from Ostatruo for the reasons that we said. But um, if you believe in that way, that's perfectly fine. Okay, and I guess I just say, um, you know, I am folkish. It, it makes sense to me to follow my ancestral gods, and, and that's the thing that makes the most sense to me. Like you guys said, because, you know, you can kind of trace this ancestry back and, and all of that. But again, you know, obviously do whatever you want. The, the thing is, with religion, there very well may be a right answer and a wrong answer. Maybe it's the case everyone should be folkish and go to, you know, when they die, they'll, they'll meet their gods. Maybe it's the case that um, any religion is right. Maybe the Wiccans have it right. Maybe the Mormons have it right. You know, we don't know. This isn't something that's verifiable. So for each individual out there, they need to come up with their own ideas. And, you know, I think a, a huge part of that is reading about the different religions, uh, playing around with them on a personal level, see what makes sense and, and what doesn't make sense, and coming up with your ideas on your own. Something that this podcast is not is a way to convert people to Ossetro. I don't want 
random people to hear this and just be like, Whoa, the podcast says be also true. I must obey. I want I want this to be a, a thing that makes people think about their religions. Of course, we are talking about also true, the people out there who are curious about it. I absolutely um, hope that they explore it further. But, again, no one can tell you what religion to be. So whatever religion you are, if you think it's true, you know, that's good, and and you should go with that. Again, we're not saying this religion is right and all the others are wrong. But, you, you know, there are some differences, and I think um, we've we've covered all of those. So, hopefully, everyone out there has learned something. Or maybe at least everybody's out there has, has something new to think about. And we're just trying to say what makes also true and paganism at large a little bit different. So, you know, these are some of the ideas that we have that make them different. And the past episodes go into different things. And we talk about the lore and you can see where we stand on, on different subjects. So, so hopefully this was interesting for everybody. And with that, I think we are finished. I want to thank Lore and Lauren once again for being on the show. I appreciate it. And anybody out there who wants to visit the website, please feel free to do so at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. Email addresses, uh, actually a couple different email addresses are on the site. Feel free to send backup to any of them. The best one, though, is Hugenhoff Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And let us know if we can read it out on the show, because we'd love to um, discuss these a little bit further. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Rahel. Rahel. Rahel.